The Tom Woods Show, episode 1522. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, if you're like me, one of the most demoralizing things is when someone utters the truth and then lamely apologizes. Well, not these folks. I've got a free ebook of stories from heroic professors who told the PC mob to go pound sand. Stories from Jordan Peterson, Michael Rechtenwald, and others. Check it out at againstthemob.com. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here. You may have heard the story of a custody battle involving a child named James Younger that made the news. And the matter appears to have been resolved, but I'm not really sure you can say it's been resolved the way the judge decided it. But it had to do with the mother's intention to transition James into Luna, the female name she calls him by when he is with her. There's a lot involved here, and there are a lot of issues that are raised by this, but that really was the heart of the custody battle. The question of who gets to make these decisions more than anything else. Who gets to make health-related decisions for the child? And there was a lot of angst about this uh, case and a lot of publicity from, let's say, right-of-center media sources. So I want to get to the bottom of what really happened here and whether it was exaggerated, whether it was all too true, and how we should think about cases like this. And joining me to talk about this is a journalist for LifeSite News who's done a lot of writing on this topic, and that's Madeline Jacob, whom I'm delighted to welcome right now. Madeline, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We've just had some kind of resolution of this James Younger uh, story because of a judge's ruling late last week. We're talking the end of October 2019 right now. And you had been doing a lot of writing on the subject. It was the kind of story that some people just could not believe could be true. And it was also a story that was being picked up by LifeSite News, indeed, and by several other sites of that caliber. But in terms of giant mainstream sites, not so much until you guys started writing about it. And then we got stories. uh, I know there was at least one story in the Washington Post. But let's hear the way you were describing it to people over the course of numerous articles. What exactly did this case consist of? What was actually happening? What was at the heart of it? Yeah, and and that's, I think, really important, Tom, because as of right now, you know, there's different pictures that are being portrayed. And so what was really at the heart of this, and we were reminded of it when we first went into the trial, it was a parenting and a custody battle. But unfortunately, underlying that was a mother who wanted to transition her son and a father who didn't agree with that. And when I say wanted to transition, I mean wanted to medically transition. She had actually already socially transitioned the boy. He'd been enrolled since kindergarten in school as a girl. All of his classmates knew him as Luna. What's his age? He's currently seven. Okay. So this mother is trying to medically transition her, not at seven, but the records that were shown in court indicate referrals for when the boy is either eight or nine to the Genesis Clinic, which is a medical transition clinic here in Dallas. It's important to note that they do also do evaluations, right? Um, That was, it's a fact, they do evaluations, but after the evaluation comes that medical transition. And so that was really the focus of the case and why this case, I think, 
caught so much attention once after the jury's ruling because it, it yes, it's a parenting and a custody case, but it's also about parents who disagree about a serious medical procedure, which is somewhat questionable on their seven-year-old son. And, you know, Dr. George was in court, did testify that she didn't intend to transition James. She only referred to him as Luna um, in court, but she didn't intend to transition him until he had hit the correct stage of puberty. The concern was, though, that the medical records indicated that that could start as early as eight or nine, and that James's current counselor had also uh, written a letter of recommendation to the Genesis Clinic referring James there and recommending that they take James on as a patient. And so, you know, it's hard to know, right? Because dad claims mom's already started. It, records indicate that it's in the works. Mom says that it's not. You know, how do you know if mom's lying, if she's not lying? I don't, I don't think that anybody can know that or not. But I think what is important is that there was the, the distinct possibility that this seven-year-old, eight-year-old, you know, once he became eight or nine, could have undergone a transition without his father's approval. And really what expert witnesses and the witnesses who evaluated James testified to was this boy is still very fluid. He's gender fluid was a term that was used many times by the custody evaluator, by Dr. Abel Tomatis, by these individuals who work with and see James as quote unquote Luna. They still see that he does sometimes present as a boy. They acknowledge that as a fact and that he does appear to be comfortable presenting as a boy. So there's a lot of uncertainty as well in his presentation. So it's not, it's not just about parents who disagree. It's not about a dad who hates the transgender agenda. It's about parents who disagree and a child who's extremely confused and picking a course that could cause damage when the child really doesn't have a clear idea of where he's headed or where he's going. Or I mean, it's he's seven, right? Uh, one of the expert witnesses testified, I, I believe it was Dr. Daniel Schumer, he testified to the fact that kids have stages and phases during which they kind of start to understand and explore their gender. And it's really not until the ages of five to seven that kids really start to understand gender and that there are kind of differences in gender. So, you know, James is seven. He's at an age where even as a bright child, he can't be wanting to be a girl and parents validating that and making that decision for the rest of his life. And I think that's what sparked outrage is that this could have happened under current medical procedures. Theoretically, there's, there's nothing to have stopped anyone from starting this child on puberty blockers at eight or nine years old. There's been a bit of backlash about the way at least some people reported the story, however, because let's talk about what the judge, because maybe I'm misunderstanding the story, but it almost seems like we had two rulings. Like we heard from a jury and then we heard from a judge. So let's try to distinguish what exactly was going on in each of these. Of course. So what happens in family court or what happened in this case specifically is Dr. George was filed the motion and she asked for, a, you know, she filed it to the judge. Mr. Younger filed a counter petition and he asked for a jury verdict. Okay. So the jury got to rule on Mr. Younger's request. And from what I've heard, Dr. George was either didn't get her paperwork in in time or didn't want a jury ruling. Either way, the jury didn't rule on what she was asking for. The jury only ruled on what Mr. Younger requested, which was for sole managing conservatorship of his voice. Okay. The judge takes in family court in Texas, the judge takes into consideration the jury's ruling 
and they're, they're what they come to as their kind of quote unquote verdict, but they don't have to follow that. It's only a recommendation. I've spoken with Texas lawyers who said that in family court specifically, it's only a recommendation. And so we saw what happened on Monday, the jury ruled they had two questions. So they got a piece of paper that had one question, question number one. Do you think that the current, and, and this isn't a, a perfect direct quote, but it's a summarization of it. Do you think that the current custody agreement or value, whatever you want to call it, that is currently joint managing conservatorship should be changed to sole managing conservatorship? Question one. Question two was if yes to question one, should Mr. Younger be the sole managing conservator? And the jury deliberated for about an hour and a half and came back and the judge read the ruling. The answer to question number one was yes. The current split in division of joint managing conservatorship should be divided and changed to a sole managing conservatorship. But no, Mr. Younger should not be granted that sole managing conservatorship. And that's what kind of ignited the nation, so to speak, was the fact that a jury had ruled against the father who was trying to protect his son. They did not necessarily rule full explicitly for the mother because it, that wasn't part of their question, right? They only got to answer their specific question. The judge, though, got to take, take all of that into consideration. She got to take the expert witness's testimony into consideration. And she ruled on far more than that, right? She set the custody for both of the boys. She set the, the possession schedule. She set child support. She also um, ruled on Dr. Georgios' request. So, for example, in her initial petition to modify, Dr. Georgios requested that Mr. Younger be required to not call James by his legal name and to affirm James as Luna. Um, so that's what the judge ruled on Thursday. And she actually pushed the ruling back. On Monday, she announced that she would read the ruling on Wednesday, and she pushed it back a day. So we have no idea what happened between Monday and Thursday, but we do know that the judge decided to grant joint managing conservatorship to both parents. She divided custody, presuming Mr. Younger does counseling with his boys. He'll get 50-50 custody, and they have complete division. They both, both Dr. Georgios and Mr. Younger have a say now in medical, psychiatric, psychological, and dental decisions, which before Dr. Georgios held the sole right for psychological and psychiatric decisions, hence Mr. Younger's concern about the transition. Um, so, you know, to some people they're saying, well, okay, there must be something wrong here because there's such a disparity between the jury's ruling and the judge's ruling that came out on Thursday. And, you know, I, I'm not in the judge's head. I can't tell you what happened, but I was sitting in that courtroom and I did see the evidence and I heard the jury and what they ruled. And, you know, there are a lot of other sources that will support that. Uh, one big one, since court records are a little bit difficult to get a hold of for family court, I've been referencing people to the Texas Attorney General's letter. He wrote a letter to the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services. Um, and he actually cites court documents in that letter. So it's readily available. Can't necessarily get your hands on the court documents unless you want to go purchase them. But if you want kind of a solid source for some of these, some of what's being argued, it's there and cited in that letter from the attorney general. And people can find that either on the attorney general's website. I have a link to it in one of my LifeSite news articles, kind of an important reference to look at when we're used by the varying <laughs> lenses of the media that are presenting this.
I think, um, so what I was getting at a minute ago is that I think some people were under the impression the way, not you, but some people seem to be reporting the story was that here's a child who's going to be transitioned against his will. And according to the jury, he was just going to be transitioned against his will. And the judge is forcing the father to go along with this. But what actually was happening, as you said, was he wanted full conservatorship. He lost that countersuit. It's very difficult for fathers to get full conservatorship, so that's actually not that surprising. Mm-hmm. And so maybe this whole thing was a tempest in a teapot. It was just uh, you know overblown, and, and there's really nothing to see here. I'm not sure that really is the case. I think there is something to see here. Um, now, th- there's a gag order that was placed. Now, is that gag order? At first, I thought the gag order was on both mom and dad. Is it only on dad? No, from my understanding, and I haven't read the actual ruling itself because the judge hasn't actually signed it. I think she may have signed it this morning, but she hadn't signed it as of Friday. Um, from my understanding, both mom and dad are gagged at the current moment, and they will be until the boys are 18, which, to be honest, throughout the entire trial, the judge made it very clear that she was not happy that the media was present, okay. even though there were only two of us there. Hmm. Okay. I've heard some other things that uh, the father, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know how what's what's true here, that the father is uh, exaggerating for the sake of trying to get sympathy from right-wing media. I mean, whatever. I mean, I, it sounds like the kind of thing people would make up about somebody, but but I don't know. I mean, do you think there's anything to any of this, or do you think you really, well, it's a kind of softball question, do you think you really grasp the nature of the case? Um. Of course I do. Otherwise, I wouldn't have, have written on it the way I did. Right. Right. Um, I, I, it wasn't meant to be this this giant explosive story. It was meant to show people, look, what, here's what's going on. And and I think that a really important piece people need to remember in terms of that is this boy has been enrolled in school as a girl since kindergarten. He goes to school in little dresses. He wears. His mom testified to the fact that in kindergarten she was putting blush. I mean, what what kindergarten child? Even as a girl gets blush put on them, um, that, that seems a little excessive, right? So, you know, is the father blowing this up? I mean, I don't, I, I really don't believe so. I've, I've sat in on the entire trial. I don't believe that that's the case. And I really think that the facts support that, right? The, the mom at one point in time requested a restraining order on dad that would restrict dad from speaking with anyone at the school, going to the school, or speaking with parents or teachers because she didn't want the school, the teachers, uh, well, the teachers already knew, but she didn't want it coming out that James was not a girl because everybody at school didn't realize that he wasn't a girl, right? They all believed that he was a girl. He lines up in the girl's line when they, you know, you, you call a little kindergartners, boys and girls, lines up in the girl's line. He uses the girl's restroom. And so much so that I'm afraid if dad even went to the school and called Luna, quote unquote, James, that it would out, quote unquote, this, this boy. Um, so I don't see how, if, if that's the case and that's been happening, how dad's really blowing this out of proportion. Now, when I look at this, this whole thing, I share the view of somebody in my, I have a private Facebook group and I have a lot of really smart people in there. And one of those people says this, I cannot fathom how anyone can consider this travesty a good outcome. What this means in reality is that these people will be involved with the court slash mediation system throughout James's life until he is 18. Mm -hmm. There is simply no way to split this baby, and this evil judge punted on her crazy decision after dragging this case on for months. I believe that's the correct evaluation. 
I I couldn't agree more. I couldn't have put it better. That's exactly it. And now that dad is gagged as well, you know, I've heard rumors, so to speak, because uh, I'm quite connected with the with the community around James. That I mean, they already have to start meeting with with the court, figure out how to divide these things, figure. Out, but I've, I mean, there are already rumors that it's it's not really going very fairly, just in the mediation. Um, and so she really did. She she completely just punted on this. Here, the court's going to take care of it from here because now that they have split conservatorship, the, the court is going to the amicus attorney is going to be the one that breaks the tie. And, you know, having sat through the trial, I can't imagine that they're going to agree on much, um, Dr. Georgilis and Mr. Younger. It's, it just seems unfathomable to me. So, I, again, I couldn't agree more. Now, meanwhile, if you reported on this story or you were concerned about this story, there were people who called you transphobic. Now, you're transphobic for breathing. You know, I mean, it's, it's like there's nothing you can do to satisfy some of these people. And and and, I, and when I say these people, I mean hysterical people because I don't think all trans people are completely mm-hmm. – I think most of them probably just want to lead a private life and deal with their own issues. Mm-hmm. But this is – by the way, it's absolutely typical of the left. They can't just say we – the two of us look at this situation differently. They cannot – ever say that. It always has to be the person who disagrees with me has some kind of mental disorder, so we'll call it a phobia. It can't be the person has an honest disagreement with me. It has to be transphobia. There always has to be a phobia in there. Now, let me tell you something. I have no phobia of trans people. I don't stay in my home all day thinking if I venture out, there's a remote chance I may run into a trans person. That is absurd. What I don't like is not trans people per se. It's bullies. Mm -hmm. And if this isn't bullying, I don't know what is. DHS has been called on noncompliant parents. We've seen researchers into gender dysphoria have their lives and careers ruined because they came to the wrong conclusions about how you should handle children who are in this kind of situation. They come to the wrong conclusion, so therefore they're transphobic. Again, it can't be. Well, they've honestly looked at the situation and they've come up with, a, in good faith, a different position from me. No, they must be mentally deranged and they must have some kind of phobia. It, it's bizarre. People have been harassed, careers ruined. It, there are countless therapists who say, I wash my hands of cases like this because I know if I don't, quote unquote, affirm the child in what the parent obviously wants, then I am going to have you know, you, you know what's going to happen to me. Right? The the, mm-hmm. the thunder of condemnation is going to come down on me. That, that That's not a matter of, well, these are people who are being uh, unjustly put upon and they're just innocently fighting back. No, the whole style, the whole approach is entirely totalitarian. And and as I say, the coining of, of the word transphobia just gives the game away. That it can't just be that maybe we're in uncharted territory here, especially, for heaven's sake, with children. We are in uncharted territory. And, you know, there might be some people who take a conservative approach when you're dealing with uncharted territory with children. You would think that would be pretty common sense for most people. Meanwhile, I'm in the libertarian world, and I would say 90% of people in the libertarian world want to block their ears and pretend this isn't happening because it's controversial and they're all terrified of the left – and they all want to jump on board. Whatever the left is telling us in the last 15 minutes is the latest thing we all have to agree with without asking questions about it. Well, I, you know, and, and yeah, so they'll attack me for being the dissenting voice. Well, I don't care. I don't care. Attack me all you want. 
I mean, this is stupid. Somebody's got to stand up and say, this is ridiculous. Most people realize this is ridiculous. And yet, because we're all accustomed to letting the left bully and badger us into going along with whatever their latest thing is, nobody wants to say anything about it. Again, do you see it that way? Completely. Everybody's scared because that's exactly what you just said is what happened. In fact, I was speaking with some colleagues and friends the other day. Careers get ruined, especially in academia and in science. My background is actually in, in biochemistry and a little bit in research. Careers get ruined. I mean, completely ruined if you want to descend on what is social, on the socially accepted uh, scientific perspective. But the problem is the scientific perspective, quote unquote, is no longer scientific. It's backed by advocacy science. Um, Dr. Stephen Levine was one of the expert witnesses at the at the trial, and he's actually um, he's been a part of and been studying transgenderism, LG, LGBT, the whole a- area for a very long time. Not the first, but definitely in the top in terms of one of the first. And and he testified that it's just becoming an advocacy avenue. There, the medical uh, entities, it's all about advocacy now. It's not about fact and and. So not only are we getting it, you know, from what should be trusted sources, but then you say the wrong thing in public and wow, you're just a hater and a bigot and you're this awful human being and nobody's going to stand up for you because everybody is so afraid of the, of the repercussions on them. And I think that's really scary because this is a, this is a very small part of the population, right? The trans, transgender individuals, the LGBT community, they're not a significant percentage of the population. And yet... That ideology is controlling everybody else in society because by forcing us to be afraid to speak what we believe to be true, right? What we may have supported by scientific facts as truth, and instead we're we're too scared to speak up about it. Um, and I think that that can lead to a really bad place, right? If if we can't have good civil dialogue, especially like you said about emerging issues. What was America founded on? We're just turning in, like you said, to complete totalitarianism and not from the government, but from our culture. It's being inflicted on us by the culture. And I think that there are only a lot more cases like this that are to come. I hope that this one sparks change and prevents future ones. But, you know, the ball's already started rolling, so to speak. And we've scared everybody who could, who doesn't agree with it. We've scared them out of speaking. And I think that we've got to We've got to shake off that fear, and we've got to stand up for the truth. Now, of course, needless to say, it should be needless to say, why on earth would I have anything in particular against transgender people? I have nothing against these people. I wish them only the best, and I have nothing against any particular group of people. I wish everybody the best. I want everybody to prosper and be happy. So the transphobia thing is just absolute nonsense. But what I would say is that people who are transgender, in a way, have a kind of special obligation to speak out loudly against this manipulation and exploitation of children in particular, because they, more than anybody else, know what's really involved and how you can potentially screw up a child this way. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are there's a handful of such voices out there saying, we have our own opinions on transgender issues, but we can certainly agree with you that this whole, well, the child is seven and we've decided, you know, this is what we're going to do, that that's insane, that that, that's just outright insanity. But, you know, frankly, I don't hear a giant cascade of such voices, Mm -hmm. which is revealing 
and disturbing to me. There should be a, it should be, the entire transgender community should be speaking out because they have more credibility on this than anybody. Mm-hmm. Because if, if they say that there's something wrong, then people would just have to sit up and listen. I'm not hearing that. And that is a profound indictment of that movement. We'll just put it that way. I, I completely agree. And one thing I'll just add to that is, one of the individuals who started the Save James website, there, there was, the, the judge was ordered that it be taken down, but there was a website, savejames.com. Um, and she said that when she started it, she many individuals actually reached out to her through the website and said, thank you for standing, many uh, transgender individuals reached out to her and said, thank you for standing up for this child. Look, I'm transgender and I made that decision, but this kid should get to pick when he's 18. His parents can't pick this lifestyle for him. You know, parents shouldn't be allowed to force uh, something like this on their children. And so, like you said, there are people out there who disagree with it, but it should be so much so much more of a resounding voice. We should all be able to rally around the fact that we want to defend children, right? I mean, childhood is so precious. We, we need to defend children that they need our protection. They're children, but we're just not seeing that. And I, I think that there's a lot to that. I think that if you look at how children are unfortunately being used for advocacy and for political gain nowadays, I would, I would you know, look at, look at Greta Thunberg. I think, I think that that's part of what the left's trying to do now to make all these things acceptable, so to speak. And I think that that also is really scary. Look, let's look at the facts. Let's see what's going on. You know, none of this comes from a point of hate for transgender LGBT people, right? We, we love them. We want the best for them, just like you said. And we may disagree on what's quote unquote the best for them. But at the end of the day, we care about the human being as the human being. And so, but I think that starting to, this starting to bleed into forcing children to accept these things, I think that's really, that's really scary. Now, before I let you go, I, again, I, I want to hit a little bit more on this just because this has been a source of criticism of the way uh, some people cover the story. And that is to say that the father himself is not uh, an exemplary person and that there's been, he's misled people and that people who kind of want to believe his version of things have just gone along with all this. Uh, what can you tell us about that aspect of this? Yeah, so there are, you know, in the divorce and annulment proceedings, the court did find that Mr. Younger lied about certain things to Dr. Georgilis. Uh, Mr. Younger cites some documents that he has and evidence that show that that's not the case. But I think that that's not really the focus of this, whether he did mislead Dr. Georgilis or not. I think the focus of this needs to be on the fact that this is a father trying to protect his son's choice. And I think that that's very important, right? It's a mother forcing a choice on this child and a father who at the end of the the day did testify, look, I just want him to be 18 to make this decision. Will I ever personally want to affirm him as a girl? No, but he needs to make that choice when he's 18. Um, And additionally, Mr. Younger, you know, I, I had an interview with him right before the gag order was issued and he addressed these points. And one of the things he said was, look, I'm not a perfect human being. I, ha- I have a, he called it a quote unquote checkered path, but he, he references, you know, maturing and growing up, but also that he's trying to, at its core, protect his kid. And so I think that, yes, it is important. People need to know Mr. Younger does have a history. He's not this perfect angel parent, right? Um, 
but neither is Dr. George Wood. Um, and we can't paint this as, you know, heaven versus hell over here. It's a very complex, very difficult situation that kind of is going on between these parents and these individuals. Neither one of them is perfect, but I think we need to kind of put that aside and not really focus on the individual parents, but let's focus on the kids and what's best for the kids. So that that's kind of, I would, I would reference that interview if anybody wants to go check it out at lifesightnews.com just to kind of see, because you're, we're hearing a lot from other sources. Oh, the, he's this awful human being. But I think when you see him when you, and when you speak with him, and, and I've actually personally seen him interact with his two boys, he's a very authentic, very well-rounded individual. What he's done in his past, what's happened in the past, you know, it, it happens. We can't, we, we can't deny that. But if you see him interact with those boys, it comes from a place of nothing but love. The way he speaks with the boys, the way he redirects them, um, you know, if they're doing something wrong, instead of yelling at them or getting upset with them, he sits them down and he talks to them. Hey, do you really think that this was the best way to do this? Can you tell me why? And he walks them through their thought process and then his thought process of, you know, here's what I think maybe I would have done. What do, you, what do you think? And so, you know, I think people need to remember both parties are human. Dr. Georgios has some good qualities too, right? Everybody, depending on who, which media you read, she's either an angel or a demon and vice versa for Mr. Younger. And I think we just need to remember that it's human beings in this case. And, you know, none of, none of us are perfect. Well, Madeline Jacob, I appreciate your time. I'll link to some of your work on this subject at tomwoods.com slash 1522, our show notes page for today. Thanks again. Thank you, Tom, for having me. I appreciate it. All right, folks, that's going to do it for today. Tomorrow, there is an absolutely not-to-be-missed conversation with Jason Stapleton. You've got to listen all the way through. Uh, if you don't get anything out of this, I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's darn good. So you definitely want to tune in for that. Make sure you subscribe to The Tom Woods Show, tomwoods.com slash Apple. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts for free, and they're automatically delivered to your advice every darn weekday. You become smarter and smarter and smarter. Thanks for listening, everybody. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.